Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm your host, Florence Adu, and I'm back for another insightful conversation with a dynamic diasporan. I just want to give you a heads up, listeners. I am next door to a house in construction, so you may hear some street noises, trucks, that's just the ways of the world. So just want to give you that heads up for the sound. So for this week, my next guest describes himself as a full service lifestyle marketing specialist within the world of urban and multicultural millennial marketplaces. He has been a marketing specialist for over 30 years, working with clients such as Sony, Adidas, Adidas, <laughs> Atlantic Records, BET, Coke, Diddy, EA Sports, Grand Marnier, The Grammys, Heineken, Jay-Z, Lacoste, McDonald's, Michael Bloomberg, NBA, NFL, Nike, President Barack Obama, and the list goes on. He is currently Managing Director of Kafaru, a gaming development company based in Nairobi, as well as Managing Director of Digital Self for Africa. Sorry, Digital Self, and he's the Managing Director for Africa and the U.S. Digital Self is a virtual reality company based out of London. Yes. Troy White, welcome to the ah, podcast. Good day. Thank you for the fantastic introduction. Uh, you made me feel all important. You know, <laughs> and that you are, and that you are. So let's dive right in. So, Troy, tell us more about where you're from, where you're local, and what is your craft? Okay, so originally from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. shout out to all my Philadelphians out there. Um, I've been running through my blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally from Philly, but came to Nairobi via uh, New York. I was living in New York for over 20 something years and in Harlem. I was living in Harlem. Okay. And I'm also a proud graduate of the illustrious Mecca, Howard University. So I, I always, always have to say that. Go Bison. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So where are you local? Um, I'm here now in Nairobi, Kenya. Okay. Been here for six years and I freaking love it. Nice. And the funny thing is, is that like, I had never been to the continent before I came to Nairobi. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of those American cats that's like, you know, season ticket holder to the Philadelphia Eagles, love football, basketball, and baseball, just very American kind of person. So moving here, I had an open mind, but I was kind of like, ah, I know I'm never going to live there that long. I'm just, we're just going to try this out, see what happens. And I freaking love it. Like, I love it. I call it Africa light. And I call it Africa light because if you're an expat coming from either the States or Europe or anywhere, coming here is like real smooth. Like the Wi-Fi system is perfect. Cell phone service, perfect. The electric's on 99, 98% of the time. Um, So it doesn't really go off. Roads aren't the best. They could have better roads, but they're working on it. Dope hotels. Great restaurants, great clubs. You feel like you're anywhere else in the world um, because everything is so high end and very nice. And then, but then the Africa side comes in 
is when you're on your way to work in the morning, there could be a Maasai crossing the road with his cat, you know, holding up the traffic, you know, which is cool. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm real cool with that. But yeah, I call it Africa light because it's like really easy. If you're an expat, if you've never been to the continent before, it's easy to just hit the ground here and start running and feel comfortable and safe. Like I don't even need to go back. If I didn't have a family and if I didn't have friends and if I didn't have a deep love to my university and the Philadelphia Eagles, there would be no reason for me to ever go back to the States, ever. I mean, that's an awesome seal of approval for Nairobi. Yeah, yeah. But I have a big family that I love. I have uh, lots of great friends back home that I love. And I love to go back to my university at least once a year. And I love to go to a good Philadelphia Eagles game once a year. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those are the things that bring me back. (laughs) Sure, sure. Totally understood. Okay, so tell us more. I introduced you with all those great accolades from your marketing career. So how would, what would you describe as your craft? Well, I'm going to just make this really short. Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to use a, a, a baby curse word, if that's okay. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. In a nutshell, I kind of make shit hot. Okay. Uh, whether or not it's a brand or a politician or an event, I come up with the creative strategies and ideas to make it hot and to make sure that the right people are there to also help make what I'm working on hot. So I ended up doing this since the mid eighties. I'm really freaking old. <laughs> You're not that. Old. <laughs> so it's what I do. It's what I call like. I always believe that God gives every person born like superpowers, like blessings. Okay. And it's one of my superpowers. It's one of my blessings, being able to be extremely creative and to come up with hot creative strategies for projects. Okay. Now, nice. There are things that I suck at, lots of things I suck at, but that I'm really good at. So take us into one of your most favorite hot events, something that you put together that, that really exemplifies. <clears throat> I'll give you a great example. Um, in like 91, I was uh, helping Diddy put together parties in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. for its birthday and then for white part uh this thing he used to have this white party in the hamptons mm-hmm, i remember the same concept used it here a year ago for martel martel was launching this new brand called martel blue swift and it's kind of like their vsop line that's the level of the brand and i did a white t-shirt and jean party which no one had ever had here, but it's a concept that I had taken from the 90s. And I had it at this unbelievable place, this space, which was actually my office where I lived at. It's this big, beautiful house with a big pool, and it's on three acres of land. And it reminded me of the houses in the Hamptons where we had events and parties at. So I just took the same concept then brought it here, and it ended up being notably, and this is not me saying it, but this is what the people say. Uh-huh. It was the best party. <laughs> it was the best party that anyone had ever thrown in cake. Like okay. it was unbelievable. I and mean, I'm really proud of my staff 
and the Martell people for believing in the concept, the idea, and spending the money that they spent. Because it went over extremely well. Like it trended for over a month, still every year around that time, like last year around that time, because of COVID, people were posting from a party that I had a year ago. Oh, wow. Just to kind of remind people of, yo, remember this time last year, this is what we were doing. And it was trending. It was a trending top five a year later on the anniversary. So it was a good, good event. Really good event. I'm very proud of that. Nice. And so how did you find yourself in this space? So you said you went to Howard and then you found yourself in New York. How did you find yourself in the space of working to elevate the profile of what your clients were trying to to put forth to the world? Well, while at Howard, I worked at a radio station called WHBC. And then I worked at another radio station that Howard has called WHUR. So I ended up getting an internship at uh, CBS Records, which eventually, four years later, ended up becoming Sony Music. But I was the intern for the Mid-Atlantic region. So that was like, that was DC, Virginia, Maryland, Philadelphia. That was my territory to make sure that all of our records got played at college radio and got favorable press in college newspapers. And if the artists came through town, I would make sure I would set up interviews for them and things like that at college radio and college newspapers. And if they had concerts, I would make sure that the proper DJs were invited so they would get a chance to hear the music, meet the artists, and then go back to campus and tell the world about how dope the particular artist was. So that's how I got in. And then because I did so much marketing when I was in the music business, I was like, gosh, if you can market a record, you can market anything. Like I could just make anything. You can hand me an egg and I'll make it hot because the most creative people in the world literally came at that time, came from the music industry because we were taught to break rules. Like there were no rules. And if there were any outside rules, we were told to even break those rules. Mm-hmm. And if you got locked up, <laughs> there was always bail. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, right. there was no, we were uninhibited and we were taught to break ground and do things to cause people to think and to talk and to cause conversation. And just, we were taught, that was how all of our ideas were taught this. If don't bring any middle of the road ideas, like, because no one notices them. And don't bring any safe ideas either. Mm. Bring ideas that will cause people to either love your shit or hate it. And it's okay for them to hate it because if they hate it, at least they're going to have an opinion about it. And if they have an opinion about it, then they're going to tell someone else about it. Yo, don't you think this sucks? But at least it gives that person that they're talking to an opportunity to form their own opinion on it. And then they might like it. Mm-hmm. But at least now you're using word of mouth because your idea was so impactful that people are talking about it. And your marketing strategy was so groundbreaking that people were like shook by it. And they either love it or hate it. And I've used that same concept with every brand that I've worked with. But I learned it from the music industry. Okay. 
Okay. <clears throat> Who are some of your mentors in the music space and as you were? Oh my gosh. I've been blessed with some unbelievable people in my life through college, through post-college, even up to now. I would not have been in the music industry if it wasn't, well, my first shout out would be to Chrissy Murray, who's a Howard grad, because she was the intern at CBS Records for Howard University at the time. And then she graduated, but she and I both worked at the radio station WHBC. So one day she came to me, I was in a studio and she was like, yo, Troy, you know, you always said you wanted my job, you know, when I leave, well, I'm gonna hook you up with it. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'll take it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> so I went in, the only thing I had to do was just interview for the job and I did an extremely good job and then I got the gig. Uh-huh. So shout out to Chrissy Murray, but as an intern, and working for CBS Records while I was at Howard, I met the vice president of Epic Records, and his name is Don Easton. And this is like in 85, 86, I met him. And I'll give you a great story. I was one of like five interns that were invited to go to a CBS Records convention in Vancouver. And all it is is a week of party. Like you listen to new music and you party for a freaking week. And then you have all these break-off meetings and stuff like that. But at the time, there was 100 interns, and they only invited five. And I was one of the five that got invited. So when I'm in Vancouver, I was always taught, you know, especially at Howard, to learn how to work a room. So I had no problem walking up to people, introducing myself to them, and telling them about me and things. So I walk up to him, and while I was very preppy then, now I'm kind of like, chic hippie kind of vibe that's my vibe now but when i was in college i was very preppy sure bow tie blue suit gold buttons penny loafers on pink socks yes 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 ralph Lauren, pink you know polo shirt on underneath my blue blazer yeah so i walk up to him and i'm like mr eason ah oh, my name is troy white pleasure to meet you and he's like, motherfucker, I know who the fuck you are. That's literally, that was literally what he said to me. <laughs> I was like this. <gasps> but it was the music industry. It's how people talk. You know? <laughs> he was like, um, are you still at Howard? And I was like, yes, sir. He's like, when do you graduate? I was like, I graduate this May. And he was like, all right, great. When you graduate, I got a job for you in New York. Keep in touch with me. Bye. <laughs> and then he just walked away. I was just like standing there. My heart was pounding. I was like, oh my gosh. I almost wanted to like cry because I was just like, wow, that was freaking amazing. He didn't even ask to see my resume. I never even sent my resume in. Like never. Okay. Never sent my resume in. He tracked me down during spring break. I was home in Philly chilling with my friends on the stoop. My mom comes to the door and she's like, Troy, come in, there's a phone call for you. And I go, I get on the phone. And this is what he says to me. Motherfucker, you still graduating? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, sir. He was like, great. I'm gonna have a train ticket for you to come to New York on this date. It was literally, I graduated on Sunday of Mother's Day, and then that Monday, I'm working in New York City, making great money, 
living extremely well and working for Don Eason as uh, Epic Records secondary marketing manager. Wow. So you've heard of uh, Billboard Magazine. Yes. Correct? Yes. Yes. So the charts in Billboard Magazine, mm, I'd say they're like 50% real. I'll talk about back then. I don't know how they, they are now. Okay. Back then, it was 50% real sales and 50% uh-huh. maneuvering. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that's good. So my job was literally to coerce the billboard reporters to report our records favorably. Okay. And I was given all kinds of great things to help coerce these uh, record shop owners to report our records favorably. So I did it extremely well. Then I got a promotion. And at the time, I didn't really want the promotion because I really dug what I was doing. And then I didn't want to move to Cleveland. And it required me to move to Cleveland to be the Midwest regional promotions guy. So Don wanted me to get my feet wet in regards to promotions because that was on the retail side. So he was like, I want you to get some record promotions experience where you're on the streets, and you're going into radio stations and you're coercing them to play your records. Mm-hmm. So I went to Cleveland and never been to Cleveland. I was responsible for Ohio, Michigan, upstate New York and upstate Pennsylvania. Those were my territories. I did that really well. I'm really good at coercion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they call it sales. You're a creative salesperson, right? Yes, yes, sales. so did that really well and then sony wanted to start sony purchased cbs records and then they wanted to start a rap division sony's first rap division for epic so then they asked me to come back to new york to start the department and then i did that for five years and then my other boss we're talking about mentors Don had left, and then there was another guy that came in as vice president of Epic. His name is Hank Caldwell. And he was a big mentor for me after Don left. Mm-hmm. And to this very day, both of those guys I still talk to. Now, mind you, I met Don in 85. I met Hank in, like, 91. And these guys are my, they're like my fathers. They were at my wedding. They knew my children. Love those cats. If it wasn't for those two dudes. And there were a couple other guys that were underneath of them, like the Eddie Pugh of the world and Larry Davis, Jim Chiato, Jim Caparo. All those guys played special roles in my life. But Don Eason and Hank Caldwell, those two. And they're legends. Like these yeah. guys are freaking legends in the music industry. Sure, sure, sure. And I obviously you're probably a legend as well in the music industry. Hey, I, you know, you, <laughs> with my younger, don't be shy. like, don't be shy. <laughs> my younger Howard friends um, that are in the music industry, you know, say that I'm like, what the freak are you talking about? You know, they're like, Troy, you were like a grown ass man when you hired me as an intern. And right. shit. Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You have become them for someone else. 
Kudos to you. I still think I'm in like my late 20s or right. 30s. So in my head, you know, yeah. that's where I am. So Troy, tell us more about how you came up with the concept and put together your basketball foundation. And what is the name? So the name of it is FAM, F-A-M, uh, all in caps. It's a really dope logo and it's short for family. Okay. And the way we came up with the program is that myself and there's this brother named Kevin Ashley. And I call he's a white dude, but I call him my brother because he's one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. And he gets invited to the barbecue. You know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's that cool. He gets, he gets invited before some black folks. Okay. <laughs> That's how cool he is. Sure. Um, but he was the, he created Java. Um, oh, the, the the language. Yes. No, no, oh. Java, the coffee, the huge coffee chain. Oh, okay. East Africa. It's like East Africa's Starbucks. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so he's the creator of Java, the founder. Our kids went to school. Our sons went to the same school. Mm-hmm. And he and I became good friends, you know, his parents. And uh, both of our kids love playing basketball. So we didn't particularly like the program at our school. So we decided to start our own program. Mm -hmm. We're coaching young kids. I think our kids were like, my son was like 12. His son was like 11 or 10. So we created our own program where we're teaching like these private school kids how to play basketball. And then we're going to the hoods and into the slums and take these kids and play against some of the slum teams. So one of the coaches on one of the teams that we were playing against, his name is Chester, we really admired and respected his program. So we were like, yo, why don't we take both programs, bring them together so these kids can learn from each other and we form one team. So we got a bunch of rich kids and kids from the slums and make them all realize that they're all on the same level. It's just that somebody's daddy or mama is making more money. That's it. That's the only thing that makes them different. Mm-hmm. But they all like the same music. They all have the same desires. They all have the same dreams. They're all smart. And it was really, really good. So his son, one day we were in a car and I was like, yo, we need a dope ass name for this team. And his son was like, coach, you always call us a family. Why don't we just call it fam? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm a marketer, so I'm a real stickler for names. Yes. Brands. And he hit it right out the park with fam. I was like, wow, that's dope. Yeah. So over the last six years, we've gotten like about 55 kids out of the slums that were you know, not really going to school much, not eating properly, not sleeping in proper places into local Kenyan private schools. Mm -hmm. Getting three meals a day, playing basketball and getting good grades. Mm -hmm. We've gotten six kids in the States Mm -hmm. for high school that are in high school now, private high schools in the States. And we've had one kid graduate college. Oh, nice. Um, in the States. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. And I'm sure you'll have many more because it's yeah. only 
the young program. So how structurally, so you decided you wanted to do it. You, you went in and, and met with these people. So I'm assuming that Java is the, the fiscal sponsor for all of this or how, how no, do you- No, not anymore. Is? Kevin okay. um, uh, sold his shares in Java and took his family back to California. Okay. So he's retired now. So okay. he has nothing to do with Java and they're not sponsoring us anymore. So now- I go around with my hat in my hand, <laughs> money. Okay, to help support the program. Okay, got it. And how's that been fruitful? Are you? Do you have thoughts or plans for? I hate. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we I all? Constantly like, hey, we need a couple thousand dollars for this. Hey, yeah. did you write us a check for that? And I had a really good friend. They used to sponsor us, and I didn't have to do a lot of begging. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed, and mm. uh, after he passed, it really hurt the program because he was kind of like a one-stop shop. Anytime I needed money, I just called him, and he would sure. take care of us. Yeah. We're the only program that has gone from Africa. There's this huge European tournament, mm-hmm. uh, a huge under-16 tournament called the Denmark Invitational. And it's teams from all around Europe that come from like Iceland and Switzerland and Russia and Germany and London and everywhere. And they bring their best players from those countries. And we've been to the tournament four times over the past six years. The first time we went, We lost eight games and we won zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were getting our butts handed to us. Like we were losing by more than a hundred points a game. Oh, wow. Like 120 to like 20 or 130 to like 15. Like (laughs) they were like, the teams were lining up. Yo, we can't wait to play the Africans. Like. So one of the funniest stories is, you know, I'm a real motivational kind of fiery coach. So yeah. at the end of the program, at the end of the first tournament, I was like, guys, there's a saying like you never take a knife to a gunfight. I think we brought a knife to a gunfight, and the smallest player we had says to me, he's like, coach, I think we just brought rocks. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was our guy. Joe. Joe's like about five feet tall. He's like, I think we just brought rocks. <laughs> well, at least he had good sport but, about it. Yeah. But the next year, mm-hmm. we came in fourth place. Oh, wow. So we like That's impressive. To four. The following year was a wash because the Danish embassy didn't approve our visas and a lot of our players couldn't go. So that year oh. didn't count. But then the following year, we took second place. We made it to the finals with only six players. Now, mind you, because I could only afford to bring six players. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Denmark team had two teams of 15. The London team had two teams of 15. The Iceland team had two teams of 15. I had six players. One team, six players. We had to play like 10 games in the span of three days. My guys made it to the final. We could have won, 
we lost by maybe 15 points, but my guys were just slow. Like their legs were burnt out. Yeah, they were um, tired. They just, yeah. yeah they, they were just No matter what motivational speech I was giving them, you know, yeah. it, 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 the bodies just weren't, they weren't they there. They couldn't so, do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. We lost in the championship game. That was two years ago. And last year we couldn't go because of COVID. Right, right, right. We went from literally last to second place in the span of four years. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you. So how can people support you? Do you have a website? How can people support you with fans? We have an IG page. Okay. Called Fan Basketball. And then you can pull it up and find it there. Or okay. anyone can reach out to me at Troy Philly White on IG. Okay. And Philly's P-H-I-L-L-Y. And, you know, reach out to me there. But we're looking for corporate sponsors. We'll put your logo on our jerseys. Mm-hmm. We have a beautiful presentation. So I can easily send them a presentation, like, right away in regards to our cost and what we're doing and, you know, the different championships. And we're the best team in East Africa, like, every year. People don't show up. If there's a tournament and teams here that FAM is going to be there, uh-huh. A lot of times they won't even show up. Like, oh, wow. Okay. We literally made our brand because we have like really nice, like hot jerseys. So, and I'm big in branding. So, because right. I want my kids when they're walking through the hood to feel, I want, yes. I want them to feel good and mm-hmm. I want people to notice them. And the kids on our teams are almost like superstars in their neighborhoods. Okay. You know, and that helps bring in the younger kids because they want to be like these guys. Mm-hmm. They want to be part of the fam team. And I bring like this kind of American kind of rah-rah, mm. like glitz and glamour. Like I have my guys slamming and doing 360s and all kinds of crazy stuff doing warm-ups. Cause that excites the crowd. It excites the kids. And yeah. it motivates the other team. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to intimidating another team before we even start the war. Right. You know. But we've been blessed to have unbelievable coaches and unbelievable players. So let me ask you why the way. How did you come to be living, working, and playing where you live? Well, my ex-wife got this unbelievable opportunity to be a CEO of a very large advertising agency here. And we were living in New York at the time. And we were like, yo, that would be hot. Like, our kids will get a chance to go to school in Africa. Like, how cool is that? You know, and they were in private school in New York. And we were like, let's do this. And we didn't know anyone in Kenya. No, but both of us are very kind of like, let's do it kind of people. Yeah. So that's how we ended up in Nairobi. It was actually her job. And once I got here, I was like, you could send me to Africa, I mean, to Alaska or anywhere, and I'll be able to hustle and be able to make things happen. And I've been blessed to be able to do some really cool things while I'm here so far. So what was that journey like? How did you, you know, you, you land, you have a great musical background. How did you find your way? Like, what are some of the, the key things that you would, you know, share with other folks who are looking to move abroad without having a base? or some kind of wife facility, your wife's relocation facilitated the softest landing. But for you to find yourself right. succeeding and thriving, how, what was that road like? You know, it was first God. Like he just 
open, everywhere we went, like just opened up doors. One, two, I mentioned to you earlier, like at Howard, you were taught to learn how to work a room mm-hmm. and learn how to work people and introduce yourself and be confident when you are. So I was able to meet lots of people because it's in me to be social. It's in me to network. And I was able to talk to people and then those people say, oh my gosh, I think you need to talk to so-and-so. I think they might have a position. And that's actually how my first job here happened. I was at a dinner party talking to someone and told them what I do. And they were like, oh my gosh, there's this company called EXP. That's a a guerrilla marketing advertising agency. They're based out of Joburg, but they have an office in here in Nairobi. I know the CEO. I want to call her, tell her about you. She did that. We met. She introduced me to the managing director here at EXP. We had an interview, and then that was my first job. And I worked at EXP for two years before I went to Temple. And then after Temple... And for those who don't, I'm saying Temple like everybody in the world knows what Temple is. Sure. Um, Temple I was the MD for East Africa. And Temple was Africa's first agency for artists and entertainment, kind of similar to a CAA or William Morris okay. type of agency. They were trying to create structure within entertainment and opportunities for artists and actors and painters and chefs and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I was the MD for East Africa. And that happened strictly through networking. And then I left Temple to work with Digital Self, which is my current job okay. now, which is MD, Managing Director for Digital Self for Africa and for America. Thanks for joining us for part one of my conversation with Troy White. I hope you join us next week for part two of the conversation where he tells us more about his work with digital self and his experience working with President Barack Obama. As always, you can catch us with new episodes on Tuesdays, anywhere you find your podcasts and at www.localcitizenspod.com. Please, if you are listening and sharing, take a moment to give us a review or rate the podcast. It helps others find us who are looking for this kind of content, who are looking to understand more about business and working across the globe. If you have recommendations for any guests, people that I might like to talk to, please do so either directly through our website or in comments. So until next time, bye for now. (laughs) 